Hi everybody, this is Matthew. And this is Kevin. And we are here to uh, give you our next podcast on Treknobabble. Um, and we're going to be doing Deep Space Nine Season 3. And the episode is Civil Defense. Um, you know, I'm coming to this, as with most of our podcasts, uh, after a, a, a hiatus of sorts of several years from watching Deep Space Nine. Because, you know, it's just not... I mean, tell, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I feel like Deep Space Nine is not the kind of thing you just pop in one episode of or two episodes of. You know, it's like, especially when they get into the sequential storytelling, it seems like something you just have to do all at once. Uh, uh, yeah, when I would rewatch Deep Space Nine, which is my, it, it remains my series, um, I wouldn't do what I did with Next Gen, where you could just pull an episode at random and just watch it. Um, you know, it would be an afternoon. I'd be like, well, I'm going to watch this part of the war arc or the first, you know, I would, you'd sit down and watch the beginning of season six up to the wedding over the course of a weekend while, you know, working on a paper or whatever. So um, I haven't watched this in a while just because watching as much Star Trek as we do for the blog I don't recreationally watch as much as I used to. So yeah. um, I think I, I jumped around season three when I had a sick day a few weeks ago, but I wasn't really sitting down to watch everything in order. I would skip around episodes, skip episodes, jump to the good bits and things. So I haven't seen this beginning to end in a while, but I, I have fond memories of it. I, I do. I do know that I, I like this episode. Yeah. Well, you know what I remember is thinking that the uh, I've noticed kind of a trend in season three, possibly in season two as well, uh, and that's sort of Cardassian plots that are too complicated for their own good. You know, and I don't mean the plot of the episode. I mean like the Cardassians have schemes for doing things which are inordinately complicated, uh, and that that's something that I recall from my previous couple viewings of this episode uh but it's got garrick and it's got ducat so hey you know <laughs> i feel like uh at the very least those two things should cancel each other out and it should still be pretty entertaining um you know so i'll just keep my eyes open for whether i, I feel like the the plot is a little creaky uh narratively speaking you know i felt that way about uh second skin is that uh... yeah um and i actually i don't mind that inside themselves the cardassian plots particularly their espionage plots are too complicated by half because that's not entirely unrealistic historically if you look at half the things america tried to do to castro you really stop yourself and go did an adult really stand up in a room and suggest this as an actual plan so I almost like the fact that Cardassians are so obsessed with trying to outmaneuver each other that they end up tripping themselves up. I, I find that an yeah. interesting counterpoint to their own self-professed, what enjoy you know their the way they view themselves in the world. That like like tribunal even that plot was too complicated by half. You yeah. already have a a Cardassian modified to look like a human, a human we all know under your control. Why not just have him commit the crime 
and then you could catch a Federation citizen committing the crime. Why involve Chief O'Brien at all? Involving a Federation officer that other Federation officers objectively knew was innocent only eventually led to the demolition of the plan, but I don't mind that if you put it in context of they actually did just invent a plan that was too complicated for its own good. I kind of like that as the counterpoint weakness to Cardassian scheming. Yeah, no, I, I understand and, and agree to some some extent uh, with what you're saying. Um, and f for the most part, I'm willing to forgive it if the episode is entertaining. You know, it, it's just sort of a limiting factor for me uh, on a rating sometimes. You know, like the episode would have been a four, but because I just like because I just have a sort of, oh, come on, reaction to it, it kind of downgrades it to a three or something, you know, um, because complicated plots and, you know, cloak and dagger and stuff like that, it's fun, you know, even if when poked at too hard, it kind of falls apart, you know. I mean, certainly there have been movies that, you know, they're just fun to watch, even if, you know, if you really strain yourself to think about the plot, it just not, it, you know, it doesn't really hang together that well. You know, so even something like uh, North by Northwest, you know, a, a great Hitchcock classic, you know, it, I bet if you really sort of thought about it, you know, there are any number of points at which you could say, well, come on, someone would really figure this out, even before cell phones, you know. Um, or why so, did they do this? Why not just do this and be done? Yeah, it. I'm capable of, uh, and I, I think it comes down, like you said, it's if I'm entertained, my suspension of disbelief is, is much more pliable than it would be otherwise. Well, but, um, but my, my thing is, like, you can be entertained and have a nagging thought in yeah. the back of your head, or you can be entertained and the episode could be airtight. You know, so which one should get the better rating? I mean, it should be the airtight episode that doesn't make you think those things. You know, they're both entertaining, but one is a great episode. The other is just a good episode. I appreciate that. I, I would argue, I think this one has sufficiently few wheels within wheels that I think I think it should come out fine, but but we'll watch the episode and find out. Yeah, all right, so let's, let's go ahead and start it. Um, I have my media queued up and ready to go. I'm ready to. All right, so we will start simultaneously along with you at home in three two one press play now i have been watching some next gen blu-rays and the jumping back and forth from sd from standard definition to high definition is quite shocking yeah um, i gotta say i really like this set uh, this is, if this is a reuse they did enough to it that it doesn't matter there's just a lot going on in this room. It's a really well thought out set piece. Yeah, I mean, it, it must be uh, one of the cargo bays. You know, the, those are sort of the large sets they have that are, you know, sort of high ceilinged with tall walls. So they're talking about processing ore. And that's always something I've wondered about. Would a space station really be the best place to process ore? Don't you think a planet might be better for that? Now, if they were willing to say that the ore was being mined from asteroids or something, you know, like the asteroids were being pulled towards the station, and that's where they were, you know, 
they just never go into, into detail about what Terraknor was really doing, you know? Yeah, I mean, I can imagine enough reasons, you know, that um, doing it planet side would be too toxic, uh, the energy requirements, the space requirements, what have you. Well, I think it's a fun sci-fi question because that currently is science fiction, but it's something that's we're close to. You know, yeah. uh, Obama has actually uh, authorized, uh, you know, expenditures on an asteroid capturing mission. You know, and they're going to bring it close. Not a big one that'll damage anybody, but you know, they're going to bring a big one close to Earth, close to the International Space Station, and do research on it. You know, that's really fascinating. So. I, I feel like it's just kind of a missed opportunity. Like they could have told a, an episode story. So we have the plot device of the old file in the computer that wreaks havoc. How I, do you feel about that? I, I like it fine because the execution, one, the execution is fun because we are exactly um, like, okay, now I've got some counting down, but we're like a minute in and we already have Goldicott's face. Yeah, which is cool. <laughs> so I also like this as a sufficiently novel take on the technology gone wrong science fiction story. Like he, he, he pretty much could have said, I'm sorry, Dave, I can't let you do that. Like, you know, just this is a fun, like something J. Michael Straczynski, the creator of Babylon 5, said about a week ago. And I really hesitate to agree with this man wherever possible. Um, but he said something about he, uh, the state of science fiction on TV now uh, is that one of his problems is that all science fiction has to have some grand world altering component. It can't just be a science like a story set in a science fiction setting. And I agree with that to some extent. Not every science fiction problem has to have the broadest philosophical or civilization level implications. So. I don't mind a stamp straight, you know, pretty straightforward technology run amok story. And when it's competently executed, I'm, I'm thoroughly entertained. So is it, is it pretty much a trope at this point, the computer that's trying to kill you? Yes. But I think as the episode unfolds, it will be done with a deft enough hand and insert enough genuine character moments for everyone that it's a worthwhile outing. Well, I mean, my issue is that it's – this isn't just a trope. It's like more of a trope within a trope, you know, because, of course, there's the trope of, you know, the computer system that runs them up. But this is the particular trope of the Cardassian computer system that we inherited on Deep Space Nine, which has all these hidden dimensions to it that, you know, there's like – I mean, I suppose there was the Gatherer episode where there was the hidden file that nuked, you know, people. Um, but I feel like this has been done on Deep Space Nine before, too. You know, the, the computer that you just can't trust or something. And it, it just feels kind of weird that the Federation would take possession of this station and not just, like, rip out everything and put new computers in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, really I think that yeah. up. And I'm not, I'm not saying it ruins the episode. Uh, I'm just saying it, it's clearly a trope that starts the ball rolling here. You know, automated security programs. Like, do they not send you know, people in to study these things? Seriously, yeah. Delete asterisk dot asterisk. It should work in everything. I mean, 
I, I like the part of what I like is they really did a good job staking it. Like all of the screens defaulting to the Cardassian symbol was a nice touch. Sure. Like little things like that really pull the episode along for me. I also, you know, I have questions about the computer run amok story in which you just can't turn off the damn computer. Yeah. Like, now I, I get that this is supposed to be a security program that prevents a takeover of the station, so there, it might be difficult to turn off the computer. But these aren't Bajoran workers. These are, you know, Federation personnel with all the technology of the Federation at their disposal. Yeah. It seems like they ought to be able to find, you know, the one cable that they can cut with a phaser and just turn the damn thing off. Yeah. But, okay, and here's here's what I'm talking about in this episode. Like, we've, we've found a shortcut to Quark Oda fun. They're like, Quark goes to security when there's a problem. That's hilarious. And it leads to some great one-liners towards the episode. So it, it's not much, I would say, like the disaster, like disaster from Gen. You can have your trophy, schlocky setup, but as long as you seed it well with, you know, interesting character interactions, maybe have someone learn something for the course, you can still achieve a good. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I do agree. And you're right, you know, the Odo and Quark stuff is a lot of fun. I mean, I really like this Gul Dukat stuff. You know, it, it's a fun storytelling device to have these pre-recorded... Oh, and can't, you know, it's like you're imagining Dukat recording these things. Just picturing him doing, like, multiple takes and, like, my hair was wrong. And I didn't sound imperious enough. Let's, let's re-record that. Yeah. Like, how many did he record? Because they clearly seem sensitive every branch of the it's 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 funny like it's it's great. I gotta say this is one of Jake's better outings for me because he's not mopey yeah like yeah he's, he, he's got an earnest quality that works here you know, it, it, it automatically raises the stakes for Commander Cisco, and, and in a non-absurd way, we've established that um, Jake has been working with Chief O'Brien, so it's not out of nowhere. It wasn't something he did just for this episode. Um, yeah, so it's stuff like this. Like, so there's neuroscene gas, which apparently is, you know, bad. Even if this program had somehow escaped the notice of, you know, Starfleet personnel taking over the station, you would think poison gas canisters littered around the station would not escape the notice. Uh, what if it uses replicators to make the gas on command? Yeah, you're stretching. I'm, I'm just, I, yeah, I know, I know. It's interesting to use the camera to imply tra trace the path of someone who's clearly not in the set piece. I mean, it, it pretty much works. Um, though, you know, thank God uh, Sherlock Lofton is so lanky because no one else was fitting in there. Yeah. 
No, and I mean storytelling like this isn't all that bad. It, you know, they've got the sort of sound effect on Jake's voice. They've got, uh, you know, them trying to guide him. I mean, it's not inherently interesting, uh, except in as much as it's fun to watch them interact with each other. Yeah, Colmini's uh, uh, tech, uh, techno babble is always great. He's really talking about the stuff like it exists and this is what it looks like and this is how it works. Uh, there's something about the way they, I like the way they stage the um, screenshots of Ducat talking in the set piece because it gives it like this like like fly buzzing in your ear quality. Like it must have must be really annoying to have Bell Ducat constantly popping up and talking at you. It's a good thing this gas uh, hangs so low to the floor. Oh, right, that it has the density of fog or, you know, like <laughs> carbon dioxide or something. Yeah. Doesn't seem like a very effective way of killing people if they can physically get away from it. That's a nice console that Dax is working on. Yeah. And we they, seem they did. They always did very good-looking computer innards in ops. Oh yeah, all those or, like or throughout Deep Space Nine generally. Yeah, all those transparent uh, circuit boards always looked great. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure Marco Limo is acting it, thinking about a guy recording this stuff. You know, it's like Galducat is a pompous, you know, sort of showboat. And he wants to turn his head this way and look as stern as, as he can. And, you know, so it's it's funny to praise a performance, which is supposed to be a performance of pre-recorded snippets. But, hey, there it is. I mean, it works. Yeah. I, I mean, so, like, on the one hand, it's interesting that there are hidden areas of the station that we've never seen before, you know, because it sort of increases the mysterious quality of the station. But on the other hand, it's a space station. You know, it's got a limited amount of stuff in it. And it, I, I just feel like this is space we're talking about. Well, space I don't think this room was meant to be, like, hidden and inaccessible because it has a regular door that leads into a corridor that they eventually get out of. I think the idea was that the ore processing tube is a somewhat unorthodox way to get into it, which would not have been available to workers. But the, the way they're talking about it is as if no one's ever been in this room. Well, I could see them just not having gotten around to it yet. Like, it's, an it's a disused mining facility that they're now trying to turn it into something else. I could see them being part of something they just haven't gone to for want of a reason to go there. I just can't see any room in any space station truly being disused because in space if any disused room has a serious malfunction you're all dead I like the squib effect on the on the door handle yeah that worked well This is certainly a much better hairstyle for Dax. Uh, I know we're yeah. This is kind of the one they settle on for the long term, right? Yeah. Eventually, the ponytail sits a little lower, and they give her a bigger brooch instead of uh, the knot. But oh, yeah, yeah. That's true. 
But yes, Terry Farrell's a very attractive woman with a very nice jaw, neckline, and we should... We should, should. Yeah, they don't need to do anything crazy with her hair. They just get it out of the way, basically. Yeah. But not in some crazy updo that would take four hours. Yeah, so you're right that this does parallel in some ways disaster. Although I, I kind of wonder what the, all the extras are doing on the promenade. Yeah. It's like don't, someone, someone forgot to tell the, the extras there's a crisis in this episode. <laughs> I love that line. With you? I'm stuck here with you, yeah. I like Odo's new uniform this season. Now, how is it different? I, I think they belted it now, and it looks just like of a thicker material. Like he looks less uh, scrawny. Like I know he, they added the collar relatively early on, but this I think it's just maybe just different material. Like it just looks cut better. It makes him look less uh, gaunt. Okay. Yeah, of all the fail, of all the uniform failures, the Joran one is really up there because the standard uniform is hideous. It, it comes in three unattractive colors, and they all are, and it's an unflattering cut on literally everyone. And there's a reason that Odo and Kira's uniforms went through like four major overhauls over the course of the series because it's not a good uniform. Well, I suppose uh, in universe the. <laughs> The explanation is the provisional government keeps uh, updating its, you know, like maybe they keep going through fashion designers, you know, who then quit and they find a new one who feels they have to put their stamp on it. Okay, that was a really big explosion. That Those sparks flew. Yeah, I mean, so I'm looking at this console behind Dax and... I mean, I know it's just a few, like, you know, light bulbs that are yeah. blinking, you know, in sequence, but it works. Yeah. Well, it, it looks like the, like, high-end version of a, you know, circuit board that we would have today. It, you know, it looks like a simplified light version of that, which looks cool. Uh, I like, Terry Farrell did a good acting job with the... Uh, hand burns like I really thought that she was in a great deal of pain like so this had to be like two three days of work for him <laughs> well and yeah so did, did he do it before the Bajorans were on the station uh Yeah, so here's the twist, which I think, you know, makes any episode twice as fun, and that's when Garrick shows up. <laughs> it's a, the dialogue is really good in this episode. The, the, I'll say, the writers this season, whatever the other failings that may remain definitely have a sense of the actors, the characters, and their abilities. 
so like the little the crack about I would love nothing more than to help my loyal customers. That is that is just a very sharp Garrick line. Yeah. You know, uh, having brought up disaster, something else that I like about this episode is it, it follows like uh, like Genesis uh, with horror movies and disaster with disaster movies. This episode follows the the pattern very well. You know, like the sort of nested levels of crisis, the increasing stakes, the you know two steps forward, one step back, you know, like the Poseidon adventure. And you get out of the room that's upside down, and then you're in the room that's on fire, then you're in the room that's flooding with water. So, like, every problem and its solution creates two new problems to deal with. And it it gives the episode some energy and some structure that I I think serves it well. Like, it just, you you get the sense of, uh, Jesus Christ, what next? Which, you know, you want in a good disaster story. Yeah, I mean, on some level, <coughs> I agree with you, Kevin. Um, on some level, I'm just thinking about Deep Space Nine as a whole now. Like, it just kind of blows my mind that they wouldn't replace all these funk-ass consoles with these weird control layouts and, you know, presumably Cardassian language stuff. You know, I, I just feel like in taking over the station, you would overhaul it with yeah. all Federation computers. yeah. It's not destroying the episode for me because, as you say, you know, this is a well-executed, you know, uh, increasing danger plot. So I'm with you. Uh, but there's just, there, there, there are nagging thoughts at the back of my mind. <laughs> where, where did Quark get this phaser and why is Odo letting him use it? And that's a Federation phaser. Yeah. It's like, why does Odo have one? I thought he didn't use them. I imagine they're still in security, but... Well, I suppose it's a weapons locker, but... I like this outfit on Quark. It's, um... It kind of looks like a suit with yeah, the vest. Yeah, it's one... I think, I think this one shows a lot, like that jacket and that top both together and apart. It's it's a good quark look. Well, I, I like the sort of green uh, sleeve element. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's something that a normal person would want to wear out in the world, but it looks like real stylish clothing for a culture. You know right. what I mean? It, it, it looks... There's something internally cohesive about Ferengi fashion, certainly as seen by quark, that I always really liked. Because it, it served the character well, and it legitimized the Ferengi as a culture, that there was like a through line for their aesthetic. I've never met one more devious. It's, uh, this is funny dialogue, you know, Odo complimenting Quark in a very backhanded way. Yeah, see, like, these people on the promenade these extras. They're just strolling. Yeah. yeah, they're strolling. Oh, where's the neurocene gas that's going to kill us? Eh, hasn't come yet. Well, I also have to compliment the episode on good on the quintessential comic relief. Co- uh, comic relief has to do that. It has to, you know, break the tension, let the audience come down a little before throwing the next problem. 
but it can't be absurd and it can't break the actual story. And that yeah. does neither. It's it's funny, it's sharp, but it's still in the episode appropriately, which I really appreciate because we've certainly seen examples where the comic relief was not funny or story breaking. Yeah. I also love Garrick's clothes. I've said this before, but like their Cardassian clothes in general and Garrick's in particular always just look cool. And they Yeah, look... it's it's got a neat sort of bird like quality to the the color blocking. Yeah, and, and, and it's and it mimics like Cardassian like the shoulder neck thing. It just it looks like something like I believe a Cardassian thinks that's fashionable for Cardassians. Yeah, it looks like casual wear that's inspired by the military uniforms, which would be the dominant sort of fashion force in, in the culture, right? Yeah. But, you know that uh, the Nazi SS uniforms were designed by Hugo Boss? No. It's true. I mean, I, I knew, like, IBM and Mercedes-Benz. Um had Nazi ties. I was not aware that Hugo Boss did. There's but... a very, there's a very funny uh, c- comic from a series of comics called Hipster Hitler, and you know, in this series, Hitler is a hipster, and the the joke is in this particular, uh, you know, strip, is that you know the other Nazis don't want to let Hitler know that it's Hugo Boss that designed them because as a hipster. He would Im- instantly dismiss them and then keep searching for something that met his hipster credentials. Um, anyway, uh, I like the little. I, I I really come to enjoy the Garrick Bashir interplay. Um, it this is definitely past the point where someone must have taken Andrew Robinson aside and told him to stop playing Garrick quite so gay. Because <laughs> seasons one and two, that was just that was just gay. Yeah. I can, I can definitely see that. Um, and I so think there... Andrew Robinson has talked about this, where the first few episodes he was consciously playing Garrick as somewhat, at least potentially, interested in Bashir, at least in his own head. And it's pretty obvious when you watch, especially like the season one stuff, and then they must have told him to turn it down. Because it's, it's, there's still banter, but it's nowhere near that level. Um, yeah, but once it's established, you know, yeah, it's always you there. can feel that way for the rest of the series. It's always there. Um, I like the phaser effect from the replicator because it's whatever they're doing on set to you know mimic it looks really good. So, actual Galdukat comes onto the station. Do you feel like this is too far? In a way, but I feel it's too far in a way that's that's like so fun and enjoyable that I'm like, oh, now it's going to be really fun. Like, it's so ridiculous that it now I'm just in like they couldn't have started at this point. But now that we're here, they've they've done the increasing danger and increasing problems so well that I am just going with it. You know, I'm just I'm and his interline is great. I got a distress call. From me. From me. It, it's, 
Oh, it just the delivery was so great that I'm just I'm there. <laughs> And, and speaking of smarmy, like, he knows he has these people over a barrel, and he's clearly enjoying himself, and it's so much fun. All in good time, Majikira. Alright, so Galdicat has leverage. And what's he going to use it for? Well, first T. Yeah. Um, right. and, and it's just it. <laughs> this is just villainy at its best. This is this is comic book supervillain levels. Like it's just, there's just something so effortlessly and deliciously malevolent going on here that I can't help but enjoy myself. Uh, my my I can't decide if I. I'm happy or not that they never actually revealed Garrick's true past or his beef with uh, Dukat. We, we get a little bit of it here, and with the, when Torzial's on the show, that's, that Garrick is responsible for Dukat's father's execution, but we never get the full backstory. And I'm, yeah. I'm fine with not getting it, because any real explanation would not be as fun as the innuendo. But it's two really good actors portraying two really interesting characters having a fascinating conversation right in the middle of our crisis, and I can't help but enjoy that. And, and I think this supports my, my thesis about Cardassians' weakness being they trip themselves up by making things overcomplicated because they've both immediately fallen into this pattern of attempting to outmaneuver each other in this conversation when it couldn't possibly matter less. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently he only had to press four buttons in sequence. Now we let it pass without really mentioning, but that phaser doodad did vaporize one a Starfleet crew member. Yeah, yeah, a, a red shoulder. Oh God! He really is swaggering, isn't he? Oh, it? it's so good sitting behind the chair, picking up the, flicking the ball. Oh my God! It's so ridiculously awesome. You can't help but enjoy it. <laughs> and okay, it's it's the dialogue here that really makes the episode for me for both of these characters. Because one, of course Ducat is going to use the situation uh, and exploit it for his own benefit. And Kira's going to want to throw up, but Kira's basically not... You know, she, she, she's not going to let everyone on the station die for her ego. Yeah. So, But watching her deal with that is entertaining. So we have a great moment where both characters get to be in character, and that gives the episode some depth that a straight disaster story might not. Yeah, I agree with that. Oh, this is a very nice scene between them. And part of it is because we're not getting shouty Kira. Yeah. 
Yeah, whoever. Yeah, when the, I really think that they were just writing for Major Kira the way they wrote Michelle Forbes because Michelle Forbes could could handle shouting. She just read it differently and it worked. Once they let her in character herself, it became a much better role. And I love the line simply because you don't like us because he's such an egomaniac. Of course, he was going to say me. Okay, we have a very crucial moment coming up, and I'm going to preface it before we actually get there a little bit. Like, I understand your criticism of Cardassian plans being too clever by half, and I certainly understand the potential of a disaster story to go off the rails. And we're about to hit the moment where, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen right about now. Um, but I love this scene. I, uh, it's Okay, I'm going to stop talking until it happens. Um, okay, so it's Dukat trying to beam out and the computer interpreting that as uh, the act of cowardice. Yes. And for, part of the reason I love it is this dude right here. He has a great voice. He, like, <laughs> as much fun as Dukat was in his little pre-programmed doodah, this guy is even more awesome. Like, there's some, what did he say? Your access codes have been rescinded. So just the way he fit into the word rescinded, I'm like, ah, oh, it's on now. There, this is great. <laughs> and there's something about this moment where Dukat, who was preening just a moment ago, is now completely powerless to actually help the situation. Is such a, it, it, I think it's a good twist, and it ramps up danger again because now the one person who could do something about it can't do anything about it. So I get the risk of it being the moment where the episode goes completely nuts but it was done with such a deft hand it was so well acted and it was so I think you can hear it in my voice so completely emotionally satisfying that I'm completely fine with it. Yeah I tend to agree you know Ducat did the same sort of thing in the Maquis two-parter, you know, at the point at which he was, uh, you know, sort of betrayed by his fellow Cardassians and, you know, singled out as the scapegoat. You know, Marco Limo does this interesting thing where he tries to preserve sort of the, the veneer of confidence, but, you know, he's just trying a little too hard like he did this thing where he sort of like tented his fingers or you know it's like you can see that the character is trying to remain appearing as confident as he was but that clearly internally the character's like oh shit you know this is not good and you know that's whether it's writing or acting that really does help create a character you know having a character not portray all of their emotions on the surface. Um, you know, it, it really makes a character seem more real. Yeah. And in some ways, you know, they don't really do that for some of the hero characters. They do it more for the villain or the antagonist characters. And that's too bad to some degree. Um, you know, in something like TNG, it was only very rarely that, one of our hero characters would say something they didn't mean, you know, or 
have a hidden agenda. You know, and usually it was only like Riker and Troy stuff in which hero characters might seem to have a hidden agenda. And I think a lot of that was acting choices instead of writing choices. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's very welcome here, you know, in in the antagonist characters. Um, You know, I guess the question is whether we do see it in the hero characters. I do think Cisco has moments where, uh, I mean, I suppose both in the Maquis two-parter, in which I didn't like his duplicity, um, and in the search, you know, he definitely had different layers to his behavior. Yeah. It's it's fun that Ducat is trying to be such a pompous douche still, even though he's been, uh, you know, sort of de-pantsed in front of everybody. Uh, yeah, it, it's just such good acting. You just want to slap him. <laughs> the look on Andrew Robinson's face kills me. <laughs> is that the first mention that uh, Ducat is married? I guess he mentioned he had kids yeah. in the orphan episode, didn't he? And and in the Maquis. No, I okay. think he, I thought it was the first one in the Maquis because it was like I didn't know you had children. I have seven. Um, yeah. um, I just have questions like, how could Ducat enter the the sector? You know, without setting off alarm bells. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, given that the nearest Federation ship is always at least six hours away, I don't think it's a problem. Well, but even Bajoran ships, you know, like it, this seems like it would be, you know, an international incident waiting to happen. Yeah, um, happening. Um, no, already happening. Yeah, just in, in progress. Yeah. Okay. Here's here's the only part of the episode that annoys me. Every time we do, and this is for all one, two, five franchises across the board. Anytime something affects the computer. All they have to do is turn on something that wasn't on when the computer got infected, and magically that will not be affected. And I'm reasonably certain that is not how computers work. <laughs> so that just annoys that that little tr- that little is it a trope? Is that what I'm looking? Is that the word I'm looking for? Is just annoying. Well, there's that, and then there's the reboot. Oh yeah, turn it off. Well, to be fair, turning it off and turning it back on does actually it does often work in the real world. It's true. <laughs> I think this is the first uh, moment in which it's displayed that Ducat has the hots for Kira, or is at least interested in getting Kira to like him personally. Yeah. Um, yeah, Nana Visitor talked about this all the time. They, the producers kept trying to get her in a relationship with Ducat, and she, at a couple points, had to scream at them that that would never, ever, ever happen. And praise God that she did, because she is correct, and the writers were wrong. Yeah. Um, it's what gave Genesis. It's what it gave rise to the episode with Kira's mother, where it's like that's the twist. Well, yeah. and I'll I'll talk about that episode when we get there. But thank God she fought them on that because that would have been character assassination. It would have been show yeah. assassination. I agree with that. I mean, let's not get started on Kira Odo, but at least <laughs> you know 
Odo wasn't responsible for the deaths of, you know... 10 million, million. yeah, yeah. Like, Ducat might be charming and fun to watch, but, you know, he's not that charming. Yeah, he, he, he's, not anti, he's not overriding genocide charming. No one's that charming. Well, I mean, it might be interesting to try to tell a story in which someone's that charming, but they haven't, they haven't done it to this point, and there, there isn't justification for it. Yeah. And, and I think keeping it one-sided serves the portrayal of Ducat's megalomania. Like, you're trying to get a woman whose people you butchered to love you. Like, how it's so, it's simultaneously so needy and so self-aggrandizing that it's hilarious. In an awful way. Yeah. <laughs> the, this, it's the second time that Rene Aubergenois used that hand gesture to test the force field, and it's very good force field acting. I, I appreciate any actor who can act with things, not in the room, and he always he does a good job. Your integrity is going to get us both killed. I hope you're happy. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, why isn't there just a, a riot happening right now? Yeah, people should be freaking the fuck out. I agree. And that could be an interesting story element, you know? Like, pe people panicking, yeah. Yeah. I, th I think it would add actual believable tension to a lot of the proceedings. I mean, are people just like holed up in their quarters or something? doesn't seem like it because we saw all those people on the promenade. I think people should be, you know, like looting, you know, hmm. like screaming down the hallways. I think there should be fires, you know, like it should be chaos. Right. Cause all, all everyone who's not in ops knows is that the self-destruct device has been activated. Well, either we're going to be poisoned by gas or the fusion reactors are going to blow and all the doors are locked, you know, like, and this is like a multicultural station with people from all different sort of non-heroic races. Yeah, who don't like each other. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I think it would be really interesting to have like a total free-for-all and maybe there's budget reasons that you can't do it, but you can at least suggest it. Yeah. Like, there could be one crazy person in this corridor, right? Are we going to get green fire? I love the green fire. Yep, green fire. <laughs> Just once, I want a character to respond negatively to the suggestion they look for themselves, or you better just get down here. I want someone to say, no, I asked you what it is, just tell me. I always, I always wondered about this bit when they tore off the sleeves to like protect their hands. Like I get what they were doing, but the sleeves seemed to tear really easy. Yeah, it seemed like they were pre-torn. Right. It's like, are are they like stripper Starfleet uniforms? Are they tearaway pants too? Yeah. I've been watching a lot of Arrested Development, and I'm suddenly reminded of the Hot Cops. 
And so we have the Trek trope, which is I can stop this, you know, core breach or reactor overload or explosion, basically, by rearranging these one or two isolinear chips. Yeah. Which, to me, <laughs> leads to the question, is it just a software problem? You know? Like, it, I don't know. To me, like, I'm thinking of, like, Fukushima, right? You know, yeah. there was a reactor overload. You couldn't have solved that problem with a computer. You needed someone to physically get in there and, you know, move the control rods down into, you know, the pile to, to stop the reaction. You know, it's like there, there's no button you can press that'll do that. Yeah, I, I think that just might be a budget problem. It would be really cool to see the reactor set with, you know, big control rods and lots of doodads and whatnot and, you know, physically forcing things into place to make stuff happen, but, you know. Well, I mean, it reminds me of Star Trek Two, like Star Trek Two's conclusion would right. have been blunted if it had devolved into a, you know, rearranging isolinear chips. You know, so the drama here is only... Uh, well, will they do it in time when... Yeah, or see? it's, it's kind of like uh, the naked now with data. Yeah. And so he, I guess what he's done is reroute a discharge out into the shield or something. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's not terribly interesting. No, it, it, it's only, it, I mean, it's a tech, it's a Trechnobabble solution. Well, to a Trechnobabble problem. Right, which is, which is always the, which, is, which, which will, by the way, be the downfall of several Voyager episodes when we get there. But, um, I, yeah, it's it's not as satisfying a conclusion as I would have hoped for. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a decent effect. Um, yeah, it's, it, yeah, it looks okay. And that was some that was some you know adequate space acting by everyone when the camera was shaking. Um, That room should still be filling with smoke. TV never gets fire right, because if nothing else, a room would fill with smoke in seconds, and then there's nothing to look at. I, it, I'll stop. I'll stop. Well, <laughs> yeah, fires in Star Trek, yeah. Uh, having you know been through a fire in real life, um, <clears throat> for one thing, what flammable objects are being burned? Uh, for another... Yeah, you know, where where is the smoke and the soot going from these fires? Like apparently these are like gas fires. Yeah. You know, like you would get in a gas fireplace that don't really create, you know, it's like methane burning pure. Right. <laughs> okay, it, I will say this end line is pretty funny. No, I <laughs> definitely like the final exchange between uh, your your brother Rom. <laughs> that's just that's just funny. Okay, so, you know, I, I think there's a pretty good amount of entertainment value in the episode. I don't think anybody would argue that for the most part. There, there are a few creaky elements, um, you know, like the isolinear chip stuff. And I would say maybe the some of the stuff that happens in apps before uh, 
Garrick shows up. Um, I would. You know, uh, my problem with the end of the episode is I would have liked a end scene with Ducat. Yeah, yeah. It just seems like you know, oh, they could have solved this problem on their own anyway, and so <laughs> Ducat didn't need to be here at all, right? Yeah. And the whole thing with him wanting to establish a Cardassian garrison uh, is just kind of summarily dropped from the story, too. Where is this Cardassian ship that is within beaming range of the station? Yeah. Oh. Did he beam away? Yeah. Had they focused on that and instead of the, the Trechnobabble solution, I think that would have been much better. Um, but anyway, uh, overall, it's still a pretty entertaining episode. Yeah, I, just I'm... like like an episode like Disaster. I mean, it's fun to watch our heroes, you know, in peril. Uh, it's fun to watch them be heroic and smart and find ways to get out of peril. Um, you know, sometimes the the means by which they get out of peril can be eh, whatever. It's not great. Um, but as you say, you know, the character acting, especially in the, the antagonists, um, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. Totally. So, what, I mean, how do you feel about the writing overall? It is a competent to above competent execution of the computer trying to kill you trope. It's still a trope. Um, I think the episode does shine in the character interactions and comic relief like several individual scenes um, were awesome. Like Kira and Ducat, Garrick and everyone, um, you know, uh, Quark and Odo. Like, I'm, I'm comfortable calling this above average writing because for what they set out to do, I think they did very well. I think that the, I, I think you can criticize the episode for kind of want of ambition, given that you, you, you told a pretty straightforward disaster story which you've done before, which we've done in Star Trek before, so it's not exactly the newest or most amazing thing, and the the solution is far too trechnobabbly um, for its own good. I would still be comfortable calling this an above-average episode in terms of the writing, because the dialogue alone that we got was just awesome. Well, apparently, uh, according to Memory Alpha, which is quoting the Deep Space Nine Companion, uh, this script went through lots of iterations. Uh, lots of the staff did uncredited rewrites of it, um, and it took a long time to satisfy uh, Michael Piller. Um, and I think we can see why. I think the formula they hit on by the end was just good enough to be entertaining Yeah, and, and to work. But... I, you can you can see some of the creakiness, you know, like I can imagine the story being in slightly different shapes, you know, with different things emphasized. Oh yeah, and yeah. Someone, Focusing and on... someone saying, "Yeah, this is just hokey," you know. Right. I think because they found the Garrick and Ducat angle, um, some of the hokiness of the basic danger was alleviated enough. It's still there. <laughs> you know, it's not solved. It's still there. But, you know, as a viewer, you're just like, 
oh, these guys are so much fun to watch, whatever, you know? Yeah. So I, I'm going to call it average writing, you know? I think it's got some very good elements, and I think it's got some meh, kind of poor elements to it. Um, and I think I think they balance out. Uh, I think acting is pretty above average. Um, you know, the main cast was fine. Uh, they were all present, and they all acted their characters well, and a couple of them particularly well. You know, Corkinoto had very good comic rapport. Um, um, I, well, thought, I thought Nana Visitor did a really good job in her scene with Ducat. Um, oh, you're right. Yeah, she was quite good. And uh, I loved, I mean, loved Ducat in his little pre-recorded messages. Because, and, and like you say, uh, he's very good at portraying two things at once, you know, what the character is doing and what the character is feeling. So there's the tension of Ducat appearing to be like, you're all going to die because I'm going to kill you. And there's the clearly implied awesome humor of this preening jackass recording himself over and over and over again. So it's, it's, it's a lot there for, he, he put a lot in to not a lot of time. I agree with that. Um, and I, what do you think about Andrew Robinson? Oh, he's, he's just a delight. And again, like we, we really needed some final payoff for those two characters in this episode. I think, I think that would have elevated, it, it would have elevated everything because had the solution focused on the two of them, we would have gotten. Well, it would have been great if the solution required them to work together. Together. Yeah. You know, because that would be sort of the ironic twist, you know, of the stuff that's established in dialogue in the episode. And I think it would have been much more entertaining than Cisco rearranging, you know, isolinear chips. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I, I would say the acting is definitely above average on the whole. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, production values, um, you know, there was an elaborate sort of mining set. Um there were lots of sort of explosion-y stuff and, you know, some optical effects with phasers and ops and then the, you know, sparky doodad into the shield outside the station. Um, to me, I think you have to say that the extras not acting, you know, scared. It was a production problem, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a flaw. Um... You know, but the costumes were good. Um, the um, the the uh, video work for the uh, you know voiceover bits was great. Like just whoever they got to play the like the what Leggett or whatever was so it was just so well done. Like just these you know, can you imagine Ducat's face popping up on every screen? It would be really upsetting. And just the way they composited the shots looked really good yeah there were lots of nice computer panels there were lots of nice cardassian view screens um so yeah it's solidly to above average um production wise uh you know overall I, i'm gonna say my final rating is gonna have to be a three you know i feel like you know there are positives and negatives and yeah it all evens out to 
you know, an entertaining whole, but to me it's it's average Star Trek, you know. It's not a particularly great sci-fi story, uh, and it's not a particularly airtight sort of plot that you can't... It's like, there are plots that you can't help but be swept along with, and you don't question things while they're happening. Um, I kind of feel like Disaster, if we want to compare the episodes, is a more airtight plot. It's trying to do less, so there's that. Yeah. You know? Like, it's got the, the really good sort of moral, ethical, quandary scenes with Troy on the bridge and, you know, when should you cut your losses and stuff like that. But it is trying to do less, I think, overall. You know, like, they, this is telling you something about Cardassians. It's telling you something about Galdicott and Garrick. Um, and those elements of it work, but the, the sort of basic... To me, the basic peril is, you know, well, it's too complicated. It's too clever. Um, and I can see why Michael Piller would have been like, you know, I just don't buy this. That's the quote that's in Memory Alpha. Yeah. Um, you know, so on some level, I just don't buy it. But there's enough other stuff to make me feel pretty good. Um, and to me, that that's, it's not a two. Like, a two is below average as entertainment right yeah and that's definitely not this this is this has got some really cool moments uh and even overall as an episode with a few exceptions it, it does gel into a, a satisfying show um but there's just nothing here that makes me go "Ooh, wow you know like this was amazing yeah, I, I almost want to give it a four because I am so thoroughly entertained by the episode. Um, but we've had this conversation countless times now. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll agree with the three. Um, the fact that they didn't resolve an unambitious plot cleanly is a big enough problem to detract from what I think is above average acting and above average production values to, to keep it in the three range. But I, I still really, really enjoy this episode. I'm just... Every time I hear the word rescinded, just it, it's so good. It's just so much fun for me to watch. But that that is not the barometer of you know the quality of an episode. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, so I agree with the three overall. It's a it's an average episode, but that's that's good. Um, I, you know, uh, if we could get a st- uninterrupted string of average episodes, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> no, a three episode is not one that you'd ever be embarrassed to show anybody else. It's not one that you would skip. You know, you'd be like, yeah. oh, that was pretty good. You know, not great. Not going to make a best of list. You know, not something that you're going to, you know, find super memorable and talk to all your friends about or something. But, you know, it's a good show. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's not faint praise it's not any sort of you know this is not good no not at all um this is a solid show uh it's got flaws but it's also got great highlights so that makes our total a six which i think is pretty fair um you know how is the season shaping up but it does seem to me like after the big opening uh They've kind of gotten into a bit of a rut, 
in terms of momentum. Uh, you know, they're they're doing sort of these standalone shows. Yeah, we haven't uh, really revisited the Dominion because uh, it was House of Quark, um, Equilibrium, Second Skin, which I thoroughly enjoy. It's one of my favorite episodes. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be until the abandoned that we actually or did abandoned was abandoned just before that does come month? before this episode. Uh, okay, I was good. Yeah, um, so we get some information about the Jemadar, yeah. but it really doesn't go back to the main sort of uh, peril of the Dominion plot. Right, right. So I, I'd still say this ep- the, the season's been pretty solid. I don't it's, think. Oh, well, I think it's been more solid as a rule than the previous two seasons. But it, it just seems like there's been a bit of a lull in yeah. terms of narrative momentum. Well, we're not going to fix that with the next episode, which Netflix tells me is Meridian, otherwise known as Brigadoon in space. <laughs> uh, God, I'd rather just go watch Brigadoon, really. But, um, but yeah, I, I still like this episode. I... God, what what that would have been a fun twist on top of the twist had it had the Dominion chosen now for something to happen. That would have been peril increasing, right? Well, I do feel like that that might have thrown the episode off the rails because there there are only so many balls you can keep juggling, you know, at once. <laughs> that's a pretty big ball to throw into the. Uh, that's fair. The mix. Um, like, I don't know how much time you could spend on it to justify it being there yeah, and true. still resolve sort of the the disaster plot. That's fair. Well, and it does kind of raise questions, you know. It's like when the station's being attacked, actually attacked from outside, where are all these other, like, weird little hidden, you know, programs that do crazy stuff? And, you know, it's like, it seems like there would be lots of those. Like maybe the station would just start attacking ships on its own, you know, some sort of automated defense system, um, you know. So I I feel like it's a DS9 specific trope, which is the sort of the alien space station that has all of these hidden dangers. You know, I I just don't I don't buy that. I I just don't buy it. Um, it just it calls into question the professionalism and the thoroughness of the hero characters, and to me, unless that's where you're going with it, and I don't think it is, uh, it's just not it's not something you should call into question, uh, if you ask me. You know, like if you're gonna make them out to be sort of a ragtag group of you know castoffs from Starfleet, that's one thing. I don't think that's what they're going for. Yeah. So the the trope overall kind of bugs me. Well, I think it's just I, I think it becomes lazy writing. It's like the holodeck of, yeah. of Deep Space Nine. Like every there's a secret Cardassian thing. Like eh, that's just yeah. It's just eventually you just get rid of the damn thing. You know, be like you know what we've had too many disasters on the holodeck. Right. Wh- whatever resources we were saving by not building a new starbase from scratch. We are no longer saving. Yeah. And so, to me, the same thing would would be, you know, it's like, Chief O'Brien, it's time to do a complete overhaul. (laughs) There are just too many of these things that are coming back to bite us. You know, 
order a bunch of new Dell computers and we'll just pop them in and they'll be in English and there'll be no secret death program. You know, it's like, what, what, what else does it like? That's his job. You know, how bad is he at his job that they keep finding this stuff? And, you know, I don't believe that he's bad at his job. And that's why these stories just kind of, they poke at that in a way that strains my credulity as we as we are wont to say on this blog. Uh, but, so those are my, my feelings about sort of the endemic flaws. Uh, but hey, you know, Derek and Ducat, Cork and Odo, you can't deny it. It, it does work on some level. Yep. But I, I feel like you could have had some of those scenes in a different story, you know? They, yeah. didn't really, they didn't really have to be in the story about Deep Space Nine trying to kill everybody. Yeah, I agree. So in, in some ways, the best parts of the episode don't really have a ton to do with the episode. Yeah, I, I, I see that. It's still, I think overall, they still achieved a fun episode that ramped up tension and danger until they stopped. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that, yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think the six is fair. The, the setup is not the best, but they did get at least something out of it. All right. Well, I think we've covered everything we need to cover here. Um, so good solid six. Uh, and we're chugging along on season three. Um, what do we have coming up next? Uh, Meridian. And uh, <laughs> so bad. Oh. Uh, what, what's after Meridian? Um, Defiant. Oh, that's a good one. I love that one. Uh, fascination. And then Past Tense, parts one and two. So they're going there. I have a lot to say about that episode, but I'm not going to say it until we get there. Oh, well, so Fascination is the Loaxana episode. <laughs> yeah. We shall see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I think uh, I think that's uh, enough for us here tonight at Trekna Babel. Uh, we'll, we'll see you for the next podcast. Yep. Have a good night.